Do you see dead people? Not because you're a Bruce Willis superfan, but because visits with Gma got a little weird after her funeral. Are you often up at 3 a.m. googling the various ways in which bodies decompose? But you swear it's just harmless research. Are you the first of your friend group to go on a murder tour or rent a haunted location for the night? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Identity Podcast. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Identity Podcast. I am your host Janine Mercer and um, I wanted to start out this week's episode with a little bit of news. Our friend Katie has decided that the podcast is no longer something that she can do. So from here on out it's just going to be me and you at least until the end of the season. So the format of this episode might be a little bit different but I don't think it's going to be too terribly strange, I mean, aside from the content. So let's get started. This week, I wanted to tackle a listener-recommended location, and that location is Dudley Town, Connecticut. Now, this place is pretty interesting. It seems like there's a lot of urban legends surrounding what exactly happens in Dudley Town and what has happened there in the past. I'm going to kind of go through a little bit of um, past and present issues. I'm hoping that it all makes sense. It was very difficult to find information about this particular location, uh, but I wanted to tackle it because it was um, recommended. So thank you to Dee for recommending this particular location and getting me to research it. In my opinion, Dudley Town has a creep factor of 100. This place is dark, it's desolate, I mean, it has all of the makings of some Blair Witch kind of shit, and that's fantastic. That caught me right away. The things that I don't really understand about Dudley Town um, is all the hearsay. Um, It seems like there are a lot of people that say the place is haunted, then there are a lot more people who say, well, you know, it's it's not haunted, and there was no curse, and yada yada, so on. So... I just kind of want to tackle the facts and the fiction. Um, I tried to remain as impartial as possible. It was a little difficult, but we'll just kind of get into it and, uh, and see where we are. A few brave souls have explored the now abandoned Dudley town, undeterred by police patrols and no trespassing signs. But the majority of sane individuals know to stay far, far away from Dudley Town because of what is called the Dudley Curse. It's been dubbed one of the scariest places in Connecticut and one of the most haunted places on Earth. Dudley Town is completely abandoned and unlit at night, and it has a rather strange and haunted history surrounding it. The owners of the land aren't keen on trespassers, so most can only hear of the first-hand accounts of those who have been. Um, But those who have wandered into the darkness have seen things, and these things have been pretty disturbing. Dudley Town 
was not officially a town. It was named Dudley Town after the Dudley family, a family plagued by death and misfortune, or so the story goes. It's located within the town of Cornwall in the northwest corner of Connecticut, and it was settled somewhere around 1740. Dudley Town itself is located in Dark Entry Forest, which is a rather ominous name, on a privately held trust, so this land is um, privately owned. The area was converted from a forest into farmland, but it didn't fare well, and by the 1800s, many people had made the trip westward for better land that was more reasonably priced. The population dwindled, and before long, the settlement was completely abandoned. Apparently, it was reforested in the 1920s by a private um, philanthropic organization that turned it into horseback riding camps and ski areas. However... Um, that's not all there is to the story, though many might want to believe that. Now, at this point, I want to let our listeners know that this story should be read with a healthy dose of skepticism. The story of Dudley Town is widely circulated by teenagers, and as many who listen to our podcast already know, teenagers are often prone to sensationalize these types of situations in order to freak out their friends. I don't know how many times I've told the story of the hook-handed killer, um, you know, the story of the, the choking Doberman, you know, the, the robber who gets his fingers eaten by the Doberman and the lady, you know, whatever. I don't know how many times I've told those stories. I'll probably continue to tell them. But when I was a teenager, those stories were my go-to. That was where I went to, like, genuinely freak people out. And... I can absolutely see this entire ordeal, this entire situation, um, just being kind of a farce that's been created by young people who go into this, you know, this, this, go onto this private land, um, trespass on this land and, you know, create these, these stories. It's entirely possible that this is not the case. Um, I'm certainly not saying that Dudley Town is not haunted or not, you know, doesn't have some sort of weird something happening there. But, I mean, we're, we're going to get into the, the ways in which, you know, mentally people can be affected, um, physically the ways that people can be affected. We're, we're going to get into that, that kind of stuff. So um, just kind of bear with me. I'm not saying that there's no paranormal side to Dudley Town, but I'm also not saying it's absolutely haunted. As is the case with many an abandoned location, energies can often stick around long after people have gone. When I first heard about Dudley Town, and like I said, it was recommended that um, I cover this by a podcast listener, I began to realize that the events that took place were familiar to me. They may also be a little familiar to you if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast. I've covered Black River Falls, Wisconsin on a past episode, and many of the happenings there seem to mirror those of Dudley Town. It seemed as if people went mad in Black River Falls, dousing themselves in kerosene or, you know, and striking a match uh, or randomly murdering entire families. So I, I wonder if a similar madness didn't strike the population of Dudley Town. That's, that's kind of where I'm hanging my hat at this point. So a little more history about Dudley Town. I suppose it's prudent to start at the beginning um, with the Dudley name itself. 
Now, Edmund Dudley, an English nobleman, was beheaded for treason during the reign of Henry VII. The remainder of his family left England and came to Connecticut, settling in the area now known as Dudleytown. The date the settlement was officially named is not known, but the Dudleys contract their heritage back to a Saxon named Dud, who had the title of Duke of Mercia. The Duke died in 725 AD, and the land owned by him would become the site of Dudley Castle. Now, an old English word for castle was Lee, L-E-I-G-H. So the area became known as Dudley. And when it became necessary to take a surname, Dudley, D-U-D-L-E-Y, was chosen based on that Saxon name and the location. Other members of the Dudley family came to settle in Dudley Town, and slowly but surely the settlement began to grow. At its peak, Dudley Town is said to have had roughly 26 families living there. It wasn't a huge settlement. And the time that the Dudleys spent in Dudley Town was not free of odd occurrences. It's said that a curse followed Edmund Dudley um, and his family from England. He apparently sentenced many to death for witchcraft, and this curse afflicted all who lived within the settlement. Now, this is where Dudley Town begins to take on similar characteristics to Black River Falls, Wisconsin. The subject of Dudley Town has been covered on numerous blogs and podcasts, so I didn't really think it necessary to rehash old information. I did find um, a website called American Hauntings, Inc., that explained the alleged curse on the Dudley descendants following the beheading of Edmund Dudley. So a quote from that website, Edmund's son, John Dudley, also attempted to control the British throne by arranging for his son, Guilford, to marry Lady Jane Grey next in line for the crown. After Edward died, Lady Jane became the queen for a short time before the plan failed, ending with the execution of Lady Jane and the two Dudleys. To make matters worse, Guilford's brother returned from France, and being a military officer, he brought home a plague that he spread to his officers and his troops. The sickness wiped out massive numbers of British soldiers and eventually spread throughout the country, killing thousands. John Dudley's third son, Robert, Earl of Leicester, a favorite of Elizabeth I, wisely decided to leave England and travel to the New World. It would be his somewhat luckier descendant, William, who would settle in Guilford, Connecticut. Three of William's descendants, Abiel, Berzelli, and Gideon, would later buy a plot of land in Cornwall Township. It's important to note that Robert Dudley only had two sons, one of which died as a child, and their surviving son went to Italy. He had children, but they all remained there. Now, this means that there was no link between William, his sons, who supposedly found a Dudley town, and this quote-unquote curse that followed them. I think the curse on Dudley town might just be a fantastical rumor spread by high school kids, but that doesn't discount the strange occurrences that happened there. It seems, in the information that I've found about the place, that random people vanishing and members of the community completely losing their minds was a fairly regular occurrence. But the question remains, why? A paper outlining mental health issues and mental illness in farming communities, 
The creators of this article are C.E. Frazier, K.B. Smith, F. Judd, J.S. Humphreys, L.J. Frager, and A. Henderson, state, Farmers experience one of the highest rates of suicide of any industry, and there is growing evidence that those involved in farming are at higher risk of developing mental health problems. The paper goes on to say, A number of studies also focused on neuropsychological functioning and agricultural chemical use, depression, suicide, general mental health, and injury and mental health. This body of research studied male farmers, female farmers, farm workers, farming families, and young people living on farms. Research to date indicates that farmers, farm workers, and their respective families face an array of stressors related to the physical environment, structure of farming families, and the economic difficulties and uncertainties associated with farming, which may be detrimental to their health. While suicide rates in some groups of farmers are higher than the general population, conclusive data does not exist to indicate whether farmers and farming families experience higher rates of mental health problems compared with a non-farming community. It is clear, however, that farming is associated with a unique set of characteristics that is potentially hazardous to mental health and requires further research. So, are the strange happenings in Dudleytown easily explained away as a mental health epidemic? The events are so varied that it's not really possible to find them all and compile them, but I'll try to do my level best. Many Native American tribes lived in close proximity to Dudleytown, including the Mohawk Nation. Some battles during the French-Indian War uh, from 1755 to 1763 were fought only 100 miles or so from Dudleytown. Several years after the war, residents were still experiencing fallout, and many residents lost their lives. Could those who seemingly disappeared in the woods surrounding the settlement have been killed? If that's the case, why were their remains never recovered? General Heman Smith, and I think it's really funny that his middle name is is Heman. I read it as He-Man. I don't know if it was supposed to be Herman, but anyway. Um, he served in the Revolutionary War under General George Washington. And in 1804, his wife, Sarah Fay, was struck by lightning on their front porch. Now, she was instantly killed. And shortly thereafter, it is said that Swift went, quote, slightly demented. Let's unpack this one a little bit, because actual lightning strikes account for, like, 3 to 5% of lightning-related injuries. From Snopes.com, direct lightning strikes occur when victims are outside, often carrying metal objects such as an umbrella. Metal, for example, a hairpin worn in the hair increases the chances of a direct strike compared with a metal object worn lower on the body. Although not always fatal, direct strikes are associated with high morbidity because they frequently involve the head. Lightning strikes near the head may enter the eyes, ears, and mouth to cause multiple problems. Lightning can cause mild to severe damage to numerous body systems. Although the current from the lightning may flow through the victim's body for only a short time, it can short-circuit the body's electrical systems, such as the heart and the respiratory center of the brain. Most victims who survive lightning strikes actually experience not the type of direct hit shown here, but rather what is known as a side flash. 
A side flash, also called a side splash, occurs when lightning strikes a taller object near the victim and a portion of the current jumps from that taller object to the victim. In essence, the person acts as a short circuit for some of the energy in the lightning discharge. Side flashes generally occur when the victim is within a foot or two of the object that is struck. Most often, side flash victims have taken shelter under a tree to avoid rain or hail. Now, this is actually taken from an article involving a video in which an individual was struck by lightning twice in fairly quick succession. This type of lightning strike is quite rare, but being struck by lightning at all is still an odd occurrence. John Patrick Brophy's wife died of consumption and his two children mysteriously disappeared into the woods. The children were apparently accused of stealing sleigh robes and they wanted to avoid the consequences for their crimes. I mean, of all the things that you could steal, and it makes me wonder how old these children actually were. I mean, if they were young enough, I can't imagine that they would be <laughs> held accountable for the theft of sleigh robes. I can't imagine that they would see any sort of, you know, serious punishment for that. I mean, obviously, if they were older, that would be another deal entirely, but um, I'm not really sure I can make sense of that one. So Brophy, having lost his entire family because it was just he and his wife and the two children, he left the settlement after his house completely burned to the ground. Um, there's no evidence as to how the fire started, but Brophy was never seen or heard from again. In the 1920s, Dr. William Clark came to Cornwall and purchased a thousand acres, including Dudleytown. One summer, Clark went to New York, leaving his wife alone, and when he returned, he found her to be completely insane and rambling about creatures living in the forest. Now, a lot of the eyewitness accounts um, in and around Dudleytown from, from those people who have been there are about creatures living in the forest. I don't know if... These creatures are paranormal in nature. I have heard that there is no wildlife in and around the immediate vicinity of Dudleytown. Apparently, when you actually enter into Dudleytown, there is complete silence, which is very unnerving. So I'm not entirely sure if these creatures were animals or not. I, I have never personally been to Dudleytown, so I don't know if this profound silence is an actual thing that actually exists. But, you know, I, I can only go by what the research says. So shortly thereafter, his wife's insanity, she commits suicide. Uh, and this story is a common thread in the Dudleytown legend. Pretty much if you ask anybody about Dudleytown um, or what they know about Dudleytown, this, this story will surface because it, it kind of has that that angle of the paranormal versus, you know, human suffering. And it, it has all of these elements that kind of combine to become a really good story. Let's talk a little bit about the possible causes of this insanity that afflicted so many in Dudleytown. Clark's wife was not the only one to supposedly become insane. There were other residents of Dudleytown who also lost their minds, lost their faculties. So I wonder if this insanity is not related to some sort of a natural cause. 
through a little research, I found that the rocks in and around Dudley Town contain very high levels of iron and other metals. So I wonder if the accounts of madness are due to lead in the drinking water, because continued exposure would lead to death. Though I don't know why the residents wouldn't leave if the water was bad. Perhaps they had no idea that the water was bad, um, so they stuck around. Also, a lot of the accounts of insanity in the residents of Dudley Town are related to individuals that are older. So, I mean, if you have, uh, you know, a 90-year-old man who suddenly goes insane or suddenly loses his faculties, I think that the inclination is more to lean towards, well, perhaps he has some sort of Alzheimer's or some sort of dementia and not that you know, the the curse of Dudley Town has caused him to lose his mind and become insane. The settlement also produced flax and also some rye. Now, if rye is left to rot, the resulting mold is hallucinogenic. As someone who worships gluten, I can safely say that bad bread is likely one of the most demonic things on the planet. Um, but I believe that this is also something that was explored in that episode about Black River Falls. You know, the, the residents of Black River Falls also farmed rye. And rye, when it goes to rot, can cause people to hallucinate um, and, and kind of lose their minds a little bit. Other events like an individual being killed while trying to raise a barn, plague, and the insanity um, due to old age, they don't contain much supernatural weight. So I've actually excluded them from the above list uh, because of that fact. Now, I'm sure that you've heard, but Ed and Lorraine Warren made a special Halloween trip to Dudley Town in the 70s, and the event was broadcast on live television. It was a very eventful night for the Warrens. I don't know how much of that night was, was actual paranormal activity and how much was generated just for the benefit of the viewers and, and the camera crews. You know, the, the Warrens have a lot of experience investigating uh, places that are supposedly haunted or, you know, dealing with people who are possessed. You know, they have that whole museum that's just filled with, you know, items that are supposedly possessed by various, various demons. When the Warrens came on the scene and started investigating, I think it really added a lot of unwanted attention to this particular location. It was attention that the private trust um, that holds the land that is Dudley Town, they, they didn't want that attention. I'm not entirely sure why they allowed the Warrens in there in the first place if they didn't want that attention, but it was absolutely a thing that happened. And after the Warrens experienced this eventful night in the settlement, they told the viewing public that the place was a hotbed for demonic activity. Ed Warren stated, quote, The Dudleys had an ancestor in England who was a judge and condemned many people to death for witchcraft. The curse in Dudley Town started after the village became a thriving town. People went mad and reported seeing monstrosities in the forest, things that were unnatural. He went on to say, Curse? What is a curse? Dudley Town is cursed in that it is a tract of land with an aura of disaster. Everyone left the town. It's entirely possible that people left this town because there was better land available elsewhere. 
the land that is Dudley Town is fairly remote and it was difficult to get supplies back and forth even though the the mountains surrounding Dudley Town were rich in, in iron and various minerals. Eventually, carting that stuff to people who wanted to buy it, I mean, not only mining it, but also transporting it was difficult. Then you have to take into account the winters, horses trying to slog their way through all of the snow to, you know, in a rural place to try to get this to somebody who was going to purchase it. It, it was a lot of work and it was a struggle for a lot of people to, to live there, I'm sure. So I'm not entirely sure why Ed Warren would connect the fact that everybody left the town with this aura of disaster. I think it's a little I think it's a little outlandish. I also think that perhaps it it is simply because of the facts that I stated before. You know, the place was very remote. Um, it was difficult to get in and out of there. People had the opportunity to purchase land elsewhere, and so they went. Every manner of demon, strange beastie, and poltergeist has been spotted in Dudley Town. Visitors have been scratched and slapped in the face, but the Dark Entry Forest Association, who is the private trust that owns Dudley Town, refuses to admit that any of the paranormal or strange activity that visitors have experienced is real. Now, perhaps that's because the curse on Dudley Town is fiction. Perhaps it's because the DEFA are trying to cover up these events. I don't know what reason they would have for doing that. I mean, wouldn't they stand to gain if they held ghost tours and allowed ghost hunters to freely traverse the land that was once the settlement? Truthfully, if it's strange or unexplained, visitors to this particular patch of land have seen it. I'm not sure what the reasoning is, but you'll get hauled off by the authorities if you're caught trespassing. This piece of land, it has a dark history, but I think something else to consider is if you don't want people to trespass, if you don't want people to come out there and go onto your land and, you know, do things that they're not supposed to be doing, ghost hunting and whatnot, if you don't want that, then maybe just be open and honest about what exactly happened there. Allow the public access to the records. There was there was a discussion on um, a radio show about Dudley Town, and, and this one particular paranormal investigator tried to get documentation about the place, and he he tried, but he couldn't he couldn't get any information out of out of the people that, that had this information um, available to them. Now, I feel as if if you want people to leave the place alone, if you want it to be just a private piece of land, you don't want anybody to trespass on it, and it's just a piece of land, then be open and honest about that documentation. Let the public see it. I understand that maybe they wanted a couple of people from the ghost hunting community to go onto the property and investigate because maybe, honestly, they thought that they were going to come out and say, no, you know what? It's not haunted. There's nothing going on here that is paranormal. We have seen absolutely nothing. We've had no experiences, but that didn't happen. And because that didn't happen, now they have all of these people 
saying, oh, well, you know, I, I went to Dudley Town and I got slapped in the face. Or I went to Dudley Town and I was scratched. Or I went to Dudley Town and I saw a dark shape. Or um, a bunch of people in the forest having some sort of satanic ritual. I don't know where that last one comes from. Uh, I really hope that there are not people in this Dark Entry Forest Association who are out there trying to drum up more intrigue by having this, like, satanic ritual thing in the forest. I mean, I think I've said in a previous episode, Satanists don't have time for that shit. <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're out doing other things. Okay, they're, they're busy people. So they're not out fooling around in the forest late at night in, in black robes and sacrificing whatever. That's not what they're doing. So I feel as if it's important to note that if you want people to leave you alone, then don't create this kind of image of total secrecy. Don't, don't pretend to be something that you're not. If there's nothing there, then let people see that there's nothing there and just be done with it. On that note, Reverend Gary Dudley, who is a descendant of the Dudley family, he wrote three books on the topic of Dudley Town and the um, supposed curse or paranormal phenomena. And Dudley asserts that the moldy rye and the lack of connection between the cursed Edmund Dudley and Joseph Dudley of Saybrook, Connecticut, basically debunk all of the campfire tales told by teenagers to spook their friends. Truthfully, the internet is just awash with blog posts about Dudley Town, but they basically all say the same thing. Dudley Town is a cursed piece of land that is haunted by its past. Supposedly, the stories about the settlement's terrifying history began in the 1940s with the return of soldiers after World War II. They tell their girlfriends scary stories and drive up the dark entry road late at night. But is that all there is to Dudley Town? Perhaps we'll never truly know, and perhaps there will always be those who can't not believe. If you'd like to read up on Dudley Town, check out Reverend Gary Dudley's book. Um, I'm going to grab a couple myself because I'm keen to make sense of all this. I'm including the link for anyone else who would like to learn more. I'm certainly not endorsing everything that, that is said in the books. I simply think that it's important to get another side of the story. I think that this story has been bogged down by a lot of just garbage, you know? And, and I think that as a community, if you're keen on the paranormal and the supernatural and all of that stuff, I think that you owe it to yourself to kind of dig a little bit deeper and really see what's going on um, at the root level of this entire situation. Because it's, I mean, it's definitely odd and it's wonderfully creepy and I loved researching it. And I mean, it's, it, it reminded me of Black River Falls. I was reading it and I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is fantastic. This is like Black River Falls all over again. And then I kind of got a little deeper into it and I was like, well... Yeah, but there's not really, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that has been reported is not really provable. It doesn't really have a lot of weight to it. It's just kind of what's been said and what's been regurgitated over and over and over again. So yeah, I mean, you guys definitely, um, you know, check out some of the reading material that Reverend Gary Dudley has created on the topic. Like I said, he's a descendant. He's done a lot of research on his family tree. 
And I'm sure that there are probably a lot of nuggets of truth in what he's saying. I can't say that there is so much truth in what has been said about Dudley Town. I can't say that it's haunted. I can't say that it's not haunted. But it's, it's definitely creepy and it was definitely interesting to research. Once again, shout out to Dee. Thank you so much for recommending Dudley Town. Uh, it was a place I, I never knew existed. And there are so many really cool haunted places in Connecticut. I, I think I'm going to start digging around there uh, to see if maybe there are some additional places that, that I can investigate um, and do some research on. So I think that that's about it for me this week. Thank you so much, you guys, for listening. Thank you for sticking with us all this time. Like I said, Katie is kind of going to go her own way, and I certainly wish her all the best. I hope that you guys do too. We've had a really fun run together, both on the Hauntheads podcast, the Identity podcast. I think that the only thing that's going to change in the future is it's just going to kind of be me relating a lot of this information to you. Um, the intro might change a little bit, but beyond that, uh, I think we're going to kind of try to keep it the same. Format might change a tiny little bit, but we'll kind of see where time takes us. I think that there are three episodes left in this season. So uh, once we get to episode 12, we'll we'll take a little break here. But, but yeah, up until then, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. You guys have been really supportive. You've been sending me really good feedback. So thank you so much for that. If you guys have any suggestions as to places that I should look into, please send those to theaudentitypodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter as AudentityPod. And if you'd like to see a transcript of this episode, you can go to our WordPress account. It's theaudentitypodcast.wordpress.com. All right. Thanks, guys, so much for listening this week. I wish you all the best. And as always, stay spooky.